Welcome to the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis, and today I am excited. I have two of my favorite podcasting friends here with me, our other Games in Schools and Libraries co-host, Kathleen Mercury. Good morning. Yay, or, it's in the all- case of Michael, good afternoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess we should bring him on then. Um, he is the uh, the magic voice behind the Little Metal Dog Show and other associated uh, gaming properties, uh, uh, Michael Fox. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, good afternoon, or indeed good evening, whenever you're listening to this this fine production. Oh good day, gosh. I say. You're classing this up. It is. That's awesome. <laughs> that, that voice, right? That magical accent that's not an American accent. That's how I make so. all that big money. No, well, if... Uh, if game stuff doesn't work out for you, you can always go into selling soap because I don't think there's a single soap commercial on in America that does not have someone with some sort of British Empire <laughs> Commonwealth sort of voice. So Next just time file you're washing that. your hands, why not use the luxuriant bubbles of Waltzvio soap? That's Waltzvio soap. <laughs> mm. yeah, that like, doesn't mm. sound good because in, in you know Spanish, F-E-O does not mean a good thing. <laughs> as I had a teacher, an instructor when I was in grad school say, why did you use this as your handle? This is not a good word. I'm like, oh, sorry. Um, but anyway, uh, so I guess we should let everybody know, hey, this is Games and Schools and Libraries. It is an Inverse Genius podcast produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System. Uh, go to InverseGenius.com, find out more about us, the people who create the show, and all our other fine podcasts. Uh, Kathleen, where can you be found on the internet? Uh, I can be found on the internet through my lovely website where I provide all of my game design teaching materials for free at KathleenMercury.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Mercury with seven M's. So it's at Mercury. And I love to communicate, collaborate, work with people all over the world. Seven M's, no Q. And we also have our wonderful Michael Fox. Uh, Michael, where are you found on the social internet? And and who are you with these days that we would be having you on the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast? So, uh, personally, you can find me uh, on Twitter. I am uh, at Idle Michael. Uh, I have my own little corner of the internet. If you just search for all the words Little Metal Dog, you'll all my stuff will come up, whether that's the site or the YouTube channel. And... My reason for being here today, I guess, is probably down to my, my fine work with the uh, the good people at Hub Games, formerly known as the Creativity Hub, um, which most yeah. people may well be aware of their lovely Rory Story Cubes, but we don't own them anymore. We uh, we sold those to Asmodee. We sold the IP to Asmodee last year, uh, mid-2017. Uh, but now we are focusing on uh, moving into the world of, of tabletop gaming. So did you get there before they sold it or after they sold it? Uh, I got there just as negotiations were beginning. Um, So Mm. I was actually thinking about this a little while ago. It's been nearly a year. Actually, it's it's just over a year since I got the call from them saying, you know, would you like to move back to Europe from the States and and work with us? And who am I to say no, working with some of my favorite people in the industry doing cool stuff? That's awesome. Yeah, it's like been... It's been really interesting because, like, pretty much the two or three weeks after we landed, it was like, "All right, so this is what's going to be happening with the company in the future." And Story Cubes is not going to be under our umbrella anymore. Although we we kind of babysit the brand a little bit, uh, wow. but we're going to be doing other cool stuff, and hopefully, we'll get to talk a little bit about some of that today. Well, and that's that's kind of interesting because 
you know, I've looked at other game companies mm. uh, like the Blue Orange folks who produced what Spotted originally, and then it got snapped up by a bigger company. But Blue Orange is now doing bigger and better things because they have a whole bunch of games that have you know the brighter shinier components or you know bigger shelf presence or what have you and and is that sort of what you're feeling is the big effect over at uh, hub games that was what was once creativity hub um, it's allowing you to do yeah, more I'd, stuff i'd say so i mean it, it's been a bit of a strange transition it must be said uh because so last last year in october we released uh, our first two games uh, they were still under the creativity hub branding but now since we've uh, relaunched the brand as of uh, january 2018 under the hub games name uh anything in future and those two previous games in reprint they will be coming out under the hub games uh label but of those two games one of them was still very much based in in the world of story cubes in that universe in that ip uh because mm-hmm. it uses story cubes to drive the uh, to, to drive the game engine itself and because of that it it feels like the transition has been a lot smoother it's not been a an immediate like break and like okay from here on from this point onwards we are literally going from form a to form b um so it's been a lot sort of more of a yeah more, more of a smoother transition um and 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 as such it's been in some kind in, in some kind of ways it's been a little bit weird but in other ways it's it's actually felt a lot uh, a lot more comfortable a lot safer i think but now that we've uh, we've made the big announcement uh that that hub games is is the future and creativity hub is is no more uh it feels good it feels good man so it feels like you know and, and i've got an idea if you all ever decide to do you know like an after dark or you know, lights out <laughs> versions of games. You could just call it the Hubba Hubba games. Oh, we did have so, uh, on God. the announcement when, like, uh, that went up a couple early, earlier this week. Actually, it wasn't that far away. Um, sorry, it feels like a very long time ago because we've just been—it's real still, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but yeah, we had a whole bunch of people going, "Hey, when you make the sexy versions of the games, Hubba Hubba." It's mm. just like, oh no, 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 no. We'll leave that to the lovely Matt Fantastic and, and his. His own labels of cool stuff. <laughs> I'm always happy to grab that low-hanging fruit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because I work uh, with Catan Studio in the summer I did last summer, and I'll be doing that again more this summer, too. And it's really funny because, of course, everybody in their mother in gaming knows the classic Catan joke. And it's really funny, though, because... It's amazing how often people are just, they'll say <laughs> and, and it And they like, come up here thinking did that, you like... see what I did there? Yeah, I'm the first like, person who ever yes. did this joke. It's like... Yeah, no, we got t-shirts, joke. pal. Pat them on well, the head. <laughs> <laughs> Pat them on the head, let them have their moment. It's fine. So, yeah. Anyway, um, so what is, uh, oh, yeah. is it that uh, Hub Games has that might be useful or exciting for either schools or library? Let's dive right into that. Uh, well, the first thing that we, we wanted to to do when it came to hub games was push this idea of games with heart now before i jump into this thing i'm I'm not dismissing any kind of games that are out there uh simply because i i've had this discussion with a few people and they're going oh well does this mean you're looking down on a couple of you know are you looking down on this type of game or this type of game no because the most important thing about gaming is 
the play. I the, this is why I got into games because of playing with people. So all games to me have have worth and have value. But what we wanted to do with Hub Games as a company is push this this idea of games with heart, games that have a reason to exist. So we don't just want to make a game that has, you know, we, it, because it's oh, Michael had this idea, and it's going to happen. We want games that have a little bit of, you know, it, emotional punch to them, or take something that's recognizable and changes it and evolves it and makes it accessible to a wider range. And using the idea of um, games in schools and libraries, it's not something that's seen as much over here in the UK. I love the fact that it's that it's, it's growing, it's booming over in the States, uh, because your schools and your libraries are where you're going to get a much wider and more mainstream audience who are going to be, I hope, open and willing to try these experiences. So with these games that we're coming up with, we are not, while we're not aiming directly for a mainstream market, we're aiming for a market that is open to trying new things. And if we can go for that, uh, if we can go for that market that has people who are willing to give something a shot, but also give them something that they are going to be able to pick up on reasonably quickly, but still have a good and fun and enjoyable experience, then we'll have done our job pretty well, we hope. And then hopefully we'll sell some games and then hopefully we'll stay in business, which is <laughs> nice. Nice. So, um, what, uh, so what have you had come out so far under, under hub games or, or what have you kept from creativity hub? Cool. So the, um, like I mentioned, the first two games that came out of Essen, uh, the big German show last year, uh, were Blank, uh, which is a small box card game. And the idea is if you've played something along the lines of Uno or Crazy Eights, anything along those lines where it's matching colors and numbers, you know, a card game where you have a central card in the middle or a, a discard pile, and you have to play a card from your hand that matches the top card in either color or number format. So, oh, there's a green three on the top of the thing. Play a green, play a three, play a bunch of greens, play a bunch of threes, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, the idea behind that, though, was we didn't just want it to be another Uno clone. Uh, the big push behind the game is that you make it personal, you make it unique, you make it your game. That's the tagline. Uh at the start of every game, you flip out three rule cards, and these are like always on rules that you will need to do your best to follow. So, say for example, if you play a five, it might spin the uh, spin the direction of play around. Something simple like that. Uh, but the game cards also have rules on them that trigger when they are played to the top of the discard pile. So, you know, oh, if this card gets played out, everybody picks up two cards. So far, so simple. Where the, the beauty of the game comes is the winner then gets to take one of the cards in the game and customize it. So they can either write a brand new rule card or customize a game card. And it immediately puts their, their mark on this game. The game becomes unique the moment you play the first game and you have your first winner. So it's a legacy game. It's kind of... I guess. I mean, we were giving it the code name of Uno Legacy when we were when we were developing and designing mm -hmm. it, and that's so so far so simple is the idea behind that. But then, if you look a little bit deeper into it, if you go for the why is this a game with heart, 
And I spent a lot of time over the last few weeks thinking about this because we, we have little videos on the uh, the Hub Games website. We are hubgames.com, by the way. Uh, shameless plug. It's I, I was trying to work out why. Why does this have heart? And it's because it gives people control over a world that they don't often have control over. So, you you know, most of the time you buy a game, you play it, you have a great time, put it on the shelf, a couple of days later, bring it down again, blah, blah, blah. But if you have an impact on that game, if what you do after you win a game has an effect on future plays and has an effect on future people who play that game, it gives you more investment in it and it becomes more you. It becomes more personal. It becomes more unique. So it's almost like a little game design kit in a game, uh, but that just becomes very centered around the people who are playing it. Well, and I think um, from my perspective, you know, the thing about the ways that I use games with my students, um, one thing that sort of jumped out to me was, you know, sometimes when kids get frustrated with rules and having to follow them, I could see a rule come up that, you know, a kid could make that could be, you know, completely ridiculous. But I like the idea that, you know, you still need to follow those rules. You still need to, you know, play the play the game. And I think then it can have a real impact on them in terms of player experience when they're looking at it from a design perspective, mm-hmm. because something that might have sounded really funny at the time, or maybe it was like an in-joke or something like that, when they're seeing players play it out and maybe really enjoy it or really struggle with it, I think that can give them like a real unique piece into um, the needs of the user. Because when we do game design, you know, the thing I stress, especially at the beginning is empathy, understanding the needs of your user and, you know, designing for other people. And this is such a tangible way that you could take a really simple game um, and have them, you know, sort of create their imprint on it and test it right away. How long do games tend to last? I mean, they are, they're super quick. Mm -hmm. You can play a game in, five to ten minutes okay. obviously as you throw more and more rules and more game cards into the uh, into the system obviously there's a little bit more reading a little bit more bookkeeping that you need to do as you play uh, but games still maybe take like 10 15 minutes at the very very longest so this isn't a game that you're sitting down for an hour and then okay right we do one rule and then it's like, okay, so you have to wait ages for it to roll around again. The idea is it, it needed to be a quick game. It needed to be a, a speedy game where the impact that you make at the end of a game is almost immediately felt the next time you play it. Um, so for, say, for example, if you create one of the, uh, the three always-on rule cards, it must be used the next time you play just so you can see what kind of effect it's going to have on, on this sort of like little ecosystem that you're making. Um, but I, I love what you're saying there about the whole idea of the, uh, think about the empathy, the, the, what you do in this game and the effect it has on other people. Uh, one of my favorite examples of cards that are, are created, and this has happened more often than I can, can actually can think of. There's always a moment when kids are playing with a parent and, or another grown-up that's in their in their little universe, and they always come up with a card that focuses on the grown-up's age. So, say for example, it's something like um, if you are the if you are the oldest person at the table, 
pick up five cards, which is like horrible because getting rid of five cards is really quite nasty. And then the kids are going, nah, ha, ha. so like, you know, the dad's there or whatever, the mum's there, your teacher's there. And the grown up has to pick up five cards. And the kids are pointing and laughing and everybody's having a wonderful time. And then a little bit later down the line, the kids play again, but there's no grown up there. And all of a sudden, it hits one of the kids, and the effect turns from pointing and laughing at the grown-up who's silly and has been, you know, taken down a peg or two, to, oh my god, I didn't realize that this would happen to, like, how could this happen to me? Mm. (laughs) To me, this child, this poor, innocent, delicate flower. And they suddenly realize that they need to be a little bit more they need to throw a little bit more consideration into the rules that they create and um having sat down with people and played with them at conventions played with them at shows that happens as well it you know i'm 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 42 and i will happily tell the people there that you know if you want to do something along those lines if you want to come up with a uh, a rule that targets the oldest player at the table feel free or the I'm baldest player or what have minute. you yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's it's great because after that rule triggers on them, they have this tipping point. They have this moment of realization where they think, okay, maybe I need to up my game a little bit and future things that I come up with have to target something else or trigger off the back of something else. And the moment you see the sort of like the light behind their eyes go and it's just sort of like, okay, now I get this. Now I see why this is important. Um, It's great. And that is why we made that game for that moment, just to see, to push the creation levels beyond what they uh, expect in themselves. Right. And I found in our, in our game design activities, the library that, that having games that are sort of already built, but that change over time or that they get to make add things into uh, adds, adds a lot to it. We've also done, um, you know, some of the old flux sets, I think had some, the ability to put in new goals or new rules mm-hmm. or new whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, we didn't play test this at all and all the various varieties of that, including we didn't play test, the, play test this legacy. Um, <laughs> and so the kids love to see the way that the games change and it sort of gives them ideas of, Oh, I can, I can look at a game in a different way or, I didn't realize how these little changes would actually affect the game, but then they have to live through it, like you're saying, and then all of a sudden, not just every rule is a good rule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for my students, you know, generally speaking, you know, when we talk about playing games, you know, I set some sort of like, you know, just expectations for them. Like, I want you to play to win, you know, for yourself, which means you can't really gang up on other players because then you're not actually playing for yourself. You're playing against somebody else, you know, that sort of thing. And, and generally speaking, you know, like, play the game as the designer intended it so that you can see how it worked out, so that you can critique it, you can analyze it. But, like, my sort of fringe cases are kids who... Um, are sort of smart enough to try to figure out like how to really play the game, how to like trying to break the game, and um, they're great to have in class because they're great game players and you know they see things from far away and they're great to play test other kids. I mean, I had one student years ago; he could figure out 
just how to manipulate the rules and break almost every single game and kids would get so frustrated and I'm like no no you need him more than you realize and they did obviously <laughs> but the others is are the kids that I have the other sort of fringe cases and I don't have too many of these because I usually n- try to nip this in the bud and redirect in a loving way um, <laughs> but kids who try to game the game you know kids mm-hmm. who try to turn it into something like for their own sort of entertainment you know like you know kind of ignore the ultimate objective just to try to make it what they want it to be in that particular moment and I think what will be interesting using this with my students is to see how those sorts of students react to this especially if they're committed to playing this game you know in a series with the same people because then you know having this like kind of funny gotcha screw you kind of moment in the game you know like all players must you know give all their cards to somebody or whatever you know whatever the kind of like absolute you know nuclear bomb type of rule that they would type you know take to write but then Mm -hmm. to have it play out like will it be so funny after the second third fourth iteration of seeing it come out and play and seeing other students react to it and i think that could be really good because a lot of times when my students play games you know they they might they'll play it once you know and then oftentimes they're always learning new games or they may not play it again until we have sort of like a free game day later on and so to have that sort of experience of <laughs> sort of the uh, <laughs> the evil game designer and to see that impact on players too um, will be interesting to see for some of them if that's a lesson that they will actually get. Yeah. Well, okay, cool. I, th- I think though, however, what was the name of this game again? Uh, that is Blank the Card Game. Yeah. Oh, it's just Blank the Card Game. Okay, so you mm-hmm. weren't, you weren't just holding back the name for uh, <laughs> for tension or dramatic purpose. It was that was the name, Blank the Card Game. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, all right then. Uh, what else you got for us? Uh, so our other one is the uh, the big box game that we did last year, uh, which is based around Rory Story Cubes, as mentioned previously, and it's called Untold Adventures Await and. If you've used Roy Story Cubes, most people are, are reasonably aware of how they run. So, like, they're a set of nine uh, nine cubes with 54 different faces. Surprise, that's how maths works. And on each one of the faces is a unique icon. And you would just take the nine cubes, you would roll them, and then using a, a, all nine of the face-up icons, you tell a story beginning with the words once upon a time. And... Again, so far, so simple. But we had loads of people who were coming to us sort of saying, you know, could we have rules for a slightly deeper storytelling experience? Rules for maybe an RPG or something along those lines. And uh, Rory O'Connor, who's like uh, one of our directors of the company, and of course the Rory behind Story Cubes, he was sort of like tinkering with a few ideas for a while to come up with something a little bit chunkier, a little bit meatier. And uh, one day, a couple of years ago, uh, a game designer called John Fiore came to him with this idea, uh, and the two of them sort of collaborated and worked together, and we refined it, and we developed it, and eventually it turned out to be Untold Adventures Await, which is a super quick-playing adventure game where you are the heroes of a TV show that you make up yourself. And the game plays out over five scenes, 
uh, and you use the story cubes. So it comes with a set of the original nine story cubes, but you can mix and match any ones that you like. Uh, so you use nine story cubes to work out locations and uh, motivations, characters, all that kind of good stuff uh, in this game and tell a story over the course of about an hour. And it is undoubtedly one of the the most genius and lovely things that I have worked on in in my life. It's wonderful seeing something that is built on something so simple mm-hmm. uh, in you know a set of story cubes. Like I said, roll them, tell a story, and away you go. Uh, but we we worked super hard in a bid to try and make this game the most accessible. Yet, if you want to go a little bit deeper and chunkier into it, you can kind of game uh, that we were that we were able to do, and it is um, yeah, it is it's pretty freaking wonderful. It must be said. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I teach, um, and I and lately especially, um, I've been really interested in narrative in games because. Mm. Um, I've got a game under design with under contract with Colossal Games um, called Dirty Dragons, and it started off as pigeons, but now it's um, dragon theme. But the thing too is we want to make it, you know, sort of scenario based, and so sort of like just different little like Dungeons and Dragons little RPG sort of adventures that involve like ridiculous amounts of dexterity, and um, and so in thinking about narrative in games, and when I do my RPG unit with my students, you know thinking about ways that you can have these sorts of structures put put in to help um you know like newfound you know uh, just 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 to help the development of story creation of story in games oh. and i think that's really interesting especially um with that sort of like you said role playing game um aspect to it you know like i'm really interested in using this one in particular with my students when they're developing you know sort of like as an exercise from when you know we play lots of role-playing games they learn about you know five different games more in depth and then they actually choose one of those in order to develop an adventure that they then run um you know for their classmates and so i think this would be a really great you know, sort of, and, and actually, because when I run games as a GM myself, like, I still feel like I'm fumbling around sometimes. I love this idea where it almost prov- provides that sort of scaffolding for creating that sort of narrative for the story with a lot of support to kind of help you guide through step one, step two, step three, step four, in terms of creating that story. I think this would actually take a lot of pressure off students in terms of, you know, staring at the blank page, where do we go from here, but giving them something that they can use as sort of like multiple inspiration points or maybe even just this is how they create the story and then this is the adventure that they choose to go with and I think especially too like within you know any type of like creative writing classes you know you could make this you know obviously the starting point for a lot of really cool in-class writing type of work mm-hmm. right yeah I mean one 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 thing we definitely wanted to do with the game was to give you the most gentle and lightest of guidelines and then it's essentially okay have at it away you go i mean so you you start the game uh by answering a handful of questions like literally four questions like uh you know where is your setting when is it set that kind of stuff and with those simple guidelines you are away 
and you you roll a whole bunch of story cubes. You flip the first scene tile, and it tells you, okay, so use one of the use one of those story cubes, establish establish a location, uh, give us something that's doing something. So it could be attacking, it could be chasing. There's lots and lots of different uh, tiles that are randomized. So you use five uh, five tiles to build to represent the five scenes that play out over the uh, the, the entire episode. Um, you don't even create your characters until you've established the first scene. So we, one thing uh, that we found a lot of RPGs, I mean, you know, your average D&D, you, you say you want to play D&D for the first time ever. Um, even if you pick up a starter guide, you know, a starter pack, it's still a pretty daunting thing. You know, there's these weird shaped dice, there's a whole bunch of things, there are six different statistics that you need to, What you know, what do these things do? We've eliminated all of that we've eliminated all of the numbers we've eliminated everything apart from the story because this is why we play dnd we don't play dnd because we like maths we play dnd because we like sitting around a table with our friends and having awesome adventures because everybody knows and- if you like maths you play champions or rollmaster you know. <laughs> <laughs> but i was just thinking too it's like you haven't met my friend brad <laughs> he will be the exception that proves the rule. That, so that that's is right. okay. Um, but yeah, so, so we wanted to to push the emphasis on the story, and because we managed to push the emphasis on the story, um, it means that this game is accessible to like the widest range possible. It's very rules light. You could be a first time RPGer. You could be a group that's been meeting for you know the last twenty years every week. But you will get the same fun experience out of this, and you can make it however you want it to be. So because it ships with the original set of nine story cubes, uh, it, it means there is no direct theme in the game. Uh, you make the game to be about whatever you want it to be. So if you want it to be a sci-fi role-playing game, you can go for it. If you want it to be fantasy, if you want it to be set in an office where you're all just hanging out and just trying to get through your day... You can do that as an episode of this TV show. Um, if you like the episode that you come up with, you can then bring those characters back and then have them create a series and mm. return to their adventures, come back again and again and again and see how those go. I, I've uh, got a couple questions. Yeah, go for it. Real quick. So is it um, does, is there a GM or is it GMless like uh, Fiasco? It's, it's GMless. The game handles everything for you. So anytime you need to make a, a essentially a, a, a discovery, if something good or bad is going to happen, you flip a card. And it'll be uh, either red or green, to so say either negative or positive result. And then it'll say uh, uh, if or then to uh, give a bit of a modifier, either really positive or really negative, that kind of thing. Could, could you in- institute a GM to sort of facilitate stuff, or is it really that GMless? Um, you can, if you wish, lead the whole thing. So obviously if we're, uh, we're at a convention, uh, it's a lot easier if you have somebody sat there taking control of things and running, you know, essentially the running the game on your behalf. And I, I do that an awful lot when I'm at shows. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what is one of my, my main roles is to sort of like make sure that the untold stories keep on, keep on going. Um, so you can run the game as like uh, as 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 a lead storyteller essentially and then just have everybody get into the game themselves but if if they then sort of see that Mm -hmm. um it's entirely fine it's entirely okay because 
it gives them the heads up on how to run the game themselves. But if you want to play with a, a DM, then that's entirely fine as well. All right. And then the other question, and, and this is obviously the, the more important one. As a librarian, mm. I, I have to ask why you went with the the structurally inferior television show instead of books like novels or, <laughs> or stuff like that. Is, so is that. You know, you could have chosen, you know, something. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> yeah, and so you should be, Donald. Uh, and and I, feel, I feel your bitterness, and that is okay. Um, <laughs> so why, why do we go for TV? Well, okay, it's super accessible. The, the idea is we wanted the whole thing to be done and dusted in an hour. And actually, the TV thing came in relatively late in the development cycle. Um, if, if you sit down with somebody and go, okay, read a book, or watch this TV show, they know that watching the TV show is going to be done in X amount of minutes. Reading a book is going to take a bit longer than that. Uh, but we wanted to push the idea that the whole game is going to be essentially bite-sized. I mean, we could have had have it so you and your fellow players sit down to create a charming novella, but that sounds a bit weird. Um, so for the widest audience possible... We went for the TV thing, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll do a special version that's entirely book related just for you. <laughs> I've got um, a couple uh, questions. Um, mm. So, keeping with you, given that the game's GM list, the game handles that. Um, are players, how much narrative control do players have then? Are they merely reactionary, or can they insert a lot of their own, you know, sort of plot elements into the story? Oh, they can insert whatever they want if you want a new character to pop up whenever you want to you can bring them in obviously it's uh, entirely down to the uh, the group dynamic like you can't just have one person jumping in saying well this happens and then this happens and then this happens if uh, you're going to go off and, and start pulling the story in, in in a different way you have to have the agreement of the group uh, you can't affect other people. You can't affect other players unless they allow you to, uh, to to have an effect on them. So you can't say, "All right, um, you know, Donald, jump off that building and and save that, you know, save that person." Mm-hmm. I can't make him do that as a character. Uh, he would have to agree to jump off the building, and that would be silly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they have full control. Um, anything that involves rolling the icons, so uh, rolling the uh, the story cubes rather. Um, is entirely down to their interpretation. It's not uh, always a literal interpretation of the images that you see. So you can push the story in in countless different ways. Um, obviously, it helps if you've got a little bit of imagination in your head, but you don't need it because the game can just help. You know, the, you, you can play completely literally, uh, but you'll have more fun, I think, if you throw yourself into the experience. Mm-hmm. When it comes to concluding your stories, mm. how did you go about designing the game so they would come to a satisfying conclusion that they would, you know, people would feel like there was some sort of resolution that it came to an end, not I mean that it could be, you know, obviously continued, but that they, you know, it brought them right to that point where they're like, "Yes, okay, that was great." So, um John who was uh, sort of in charge of making sure that that bit worked, uh, he's he's built the whole uh, game around the idea of the hero's journey, mm-hmm. so the story archetype. Um, one day we may do another version, we shall see. But uh, yeah, everything about it is, is is based on the hero's journey. So 
uh, characters will pop up, locations will return. Uh, so you can move story cubes from one scene to another scene, which means that you're going to get people returning. So the big bad guy from scene two will come up for the, for the, for the giant epic final battle at the end of scene five, for example. Uh, so nice. by bringing characters and locations back, you get that cyclical nature that mm-hmm. we were, um, really, really looking for. Uh, it was, Something that actually came across reasonably early in the game, uh, in the game design. Uh, but the, the trick was refining it. The trick was making, making it work in that situation. So, you know, sure, this character can reappear. Sure, we can return to this location. But what is going to make that work and be satisfying from a storyline point of view? And the way that we eventually came to the, uh, the fix for it, as it were, was, at the very start of the game, you're looking for information. It's a lot of asking questions. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of trying to find out what's happening in the world that you find yourself in. And then as you go through the game's five scenes, the pendulum turns more to action. So the very last scene in scene five, um, it's literally all action. There's no questions, no information. You have everything you need and you are engaged and you are encouraged to come up with a satisfying conclusion to this story and it might not necessarily happen you might end up on a cliffhanger where you try your damnedest and everything just falls to pieces around you but that i find is actually often a better way of playing because then you're like going okay how are we going to solve this in episode two Uh it's 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 worked very very well. Um, like we tested the we tested the hell out of this thing, uh-huh. and it sometimes it sometimes it, it it didn't work brilliantly. But now it is just yeah. It it feels it feels right. It feels very right. Well, in my our sixth grade, we actually do a unit on the hero's journey. <laughs> so Ooh. when you said that, <laughs> you know, like I might as well put the game in my shopping cart at this <laughs> at this point, <laughs> you know. But I love that as far as because especially for connecting, you know, there's a reason why we do it as with our sixth graders, you know, obviously because they're just sort of beginning to understand that there is a larger world out there that they want to be part of and you know all these sorts of heroic tales you know from you know harry potter to percy jackson to all different other types of young adult fiction honestly a lot more interesting than fiction for adults sometimes because they have a lot more complexity to it since romance isn't you know usually a key part of it it's a lot more about just placing characters into really interesting scenarios, really interesting choices. And I think especially, you know, for them, this is such a great idea to use it sort of like starting point because it really, really speaks to them. You know, we, we show um, Star Wars to them, like the, the original New Hope, um, one, because it's a textbook, literally, you know, hero's journey sort of tale, mm-hmm. but also... Um, because it just resonates. And then when you point out all the connections to all these other stories, you know, from Shrek to Wreck-It Ralph, all these other, you know, you know, movies that they're familiar with, and then they're just, you know, their eyes are just so wide opened into, like, this is like a narrative structure. So it's something that they're really familiar with. And I think that's a really good choice to, like, have as sort of like the, the skeleton that you built this whole system upon. Well, yeah, I mean, Star Wars was the first one you know, story where I was aware of hey, 
this is this is the hero's journey because I loved Star Wars, you know, back when it came out. I it was like one of the first movie theater experiences that I had where I wasn't sitting near my peer group because it was so packed. We were all in there like sardines. Uh-huh. And that, you know, afterwards you heard like, oh yeah, this is based off of you know, these theories or this this store kind of story structure or whatever, and you're like, Oh, well, that's a thing. Uh-huh. I just like stories before, and now I understand <laughs> sort of, you know, what a story is. Right. So now, now, whenever I hear uh, Hero's Journey, I, I get the theme from Gallivant. You know, <laughs> one of the songs from Gallivant starts popping into my head, and I can't help myself. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, um, at the uh, Smithsonian Museum, when I used to live in D.C. 18,000 years ago, um, they did a big, huge exhibit on the Hero's Journey and it had so it had all the original like Star Wars costumes. It was just this. It was really really well done, and the book from it, which you can find online, you know, is so great because it really go. I mean, this is kind of a side note, but um, for anybody who's interested in teaching about the hero's journey, I guess. Um, but it's really great because it breaks down all of Joseph Campbell's steps because literally George Lucas like took all these different steps and wrote them in. You know, like when they're in the trash compactor, that's the in the belly of the beast, you know, kind of thing. So or in the belly of the whale. So um, all those sorts of like key moments are in there, but the thing that you know makes it so resonant, and I think this is why it's such a good idea for this, is you know, like because getting back to what Joseph Campbell said, you know, there is something about heroic stories that appeal to us beyond just you know sort of a surface nature that speaks to the heart and the essence of who we are as humans, of who we want to be as people. You know, we it's a, we all feel like the oddball, we all feel like the misfit, we all feel like the orphan. We all feel like the one who wasn't wanted at times, especially when we're children. And to realize that, you know, those unique kind of quirky, you know, don't fit in the box kind of characteristics are the things that can actually, you know, propel you into figuring out who exactly you are in a way that maybe you'll even be able to help people and make the world better. And I love that aspect of it. And that's why, you know, we focus on that. And I think it's a really great idea that this is a way to, you know, gamify that storytelling experience. You know, I mean, we're, we're def- I'm definitely going to buy this, you know, not just saying that, you know, because this fits so well into what we're doing. Plus, I mean, obviously I enjoy gamifying pretty much anything I can when I'm in a classroom. Um, but I think this is a really great idea, even not just for a game design classroom, but, you know, or a gifted classroom, you know, this could transcend all kinds of, you know, disciplines and boundaries. Yeah, I mean, a, a, a big thing that I wanted to put into the game as well, um, that I, I wanted to ensure was right, was the ability to fail as well. Because, you know, most kids, you, you see them playing on the playground or whatever, you, you, you hear them telling, oh, you know, oh, little Johnny, tell me a story. And they will tell you a story where the hero always wins. It's, it's basically like, you know, the, the prime level Superman, the most boring superhero of all time, wherein... They never fail. They're always victorious. Everything is great. Oh, I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. No. A hero is built from their failures, from their mistakes. And we inherently built into untold failure. There are points of the game where you are going to screw up, where despite your best laid plans, where despite the greatest descriptions that you can throw out to all of the other players, you go, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and all of a sudden you flip a card and it says, it's bright red and it says, and. So that means not only have you failed, you have failed in a spectacular way and everything is going to go wrong around you. Uh-huh. 
It doesn't they, tell you how it's going to go wrong around you. You have to, as a player, tell everybody else how you managed to screw up. And those, for me, are the most fun moments of the game because you're the hero. You're meant to be there saving the day. You're meant to be this great, amazing person who is going to fix the problems of the world and make everything wonderful and brilliant and superb again. And congratulations, you messed it up. Right. And it's where you it's where you get those moments. Those are the bits that shine for me. It's so much fun watching kids, grown-ups, whoever, try and dig their way out of a hole after they've sort of like put themselves forward as this you know, this great superhero. It's wonderful. And it's like fiasco. Mm. You know, if you've ever played fiasco, you can tell who uh, who are risk adverse versus those who are looking to explore the story because it's like, I win, I'm super powered. I do this because there's no dice roll. So I can say whatever I want to say. And then the other people can, you know, can sort of influence that. But then you have the players who, Oh, this horrible thing happens to my character. Isn't this fun? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, yeah, especially when, and this goes back to that narrative control please, but it, you know, it also you know, for how comfortable players are with that, you know, I use like, you know, if the story is about making tomato soup and it turns out perfectly and you eat it, it's just delicious and you don't burn your mouth. Like that's not a story, but if you're making tomato soup and all of a sudden the tomato soup monster jumps out of the pot and like runs down the hallway, getting tomato soup everywhere. Like that's a story, you know, at least the start of one, you know, and you have to be willing, you know, to introduce conflict. And that's one reason why I think this um, helps transcend this from activity to a game. You know, I mean, you can have a really intense cooperative game, um, but I think especially that that threat of failure and is a really important part of it to make it feel like players are actually playing something, especially for my players who really want to, you know, play against the game, like try to beat the game. You know, you have to, they have to have some pushback, you know, so as they're making their various choices, they feel like they've got a challenge to overcome because they really, really want that. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Failure is fun. Without failure, there is no growth. Without failure, there's no way to be better. And as we baked it in, it's, it forces the players to, to think around their amazing super abilities or their fantastic brains and wonderful plans. Yeah. You know, if, if you're, if you're walking down the street and you're chasing after a, you know, chasing after a villain and all of a sudden you step on a rake that somebody's left there, you know, it's, you're not just going to like shrug it off. You're going to, you, you've got to deal with the fact that you've now got a broken nose and there's blood all over your face and all over the pavement as you're chasing after this dude. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. I, I wrote, um, a one shot based on dread. Are you familiar with dread with the Django blocks? Mm. Yeah. I read a, I wrote a one shot and I ran that with some friends, um, based on Azkaban and that they were all terrible, terrible, terrible wizards. And it's during the scene where Voldemort comes to break out Bellatrix and the other Death Eaters. And so, you know, the, the, the tower is just being rocked by explosions and, you know, they're trying to fumble their way through it. And the thing that kept happening was they were doing everything possible to not fail, to not die, because it was 
too precious to them, you know? Like, even mm-hmm. in the world of Harry Potter, they didn't want to leave the world. They didn't really necessarily have strong connections to characters. I mean, we wrote, I mean, they wrote pages and pages, my gosh, when I gave them their, their questionnaires. But they just didn't want to sort of leave that world. And I think one thing that's nice about this, that kind of get around this, is because it's so fast and you create it on the spot, you, it's, you know, it's not precious. You know, it's easy to let it go. It's easy to just, you know, see it as, you know, they, they don't necessarily, the characters aren't that three-dimensional at first, you know. So if something bad happens or, you know, a character goes away, a new one comes in, you know, players can be a lot, it can be a lot easier to assimilate them in and assimilate them out because, you know, they're just single purposes as opposed that to... That's it, yeah. Go ahead, I'm yeah, sorry. That's, that, that's a perfect way of, of, of describing it. The, the preciousness comes from post-game. It comes from when you finish the story, when you have these tales to tell. It's just like, oh, do you remember when that happened? Do you remember when that happened? And those moments are, are, are gorgeous and wonderful and, and the reason we made the game. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm excited. I mean, this like this fits in. I mean, honestly, like in all three of my game, my classes from, you know, sixth graders and heroic journey to my game design classes to my RPG design classes, I love how this is. You know, for me, just ticking a lot of boxes in terms of what I can really use with students. And I think that, you know, even since it's relatively, like, it sounds like pretty easy to learn how to do it one hour, I mean, this is something that I think a lot of other teachers could incorporate here and there if they're wanting to, you know, gamify some sort of aspect. Because you could apply this you know, to all kinds of, like, historical situations. You could build in certain events and then, you know, what happened so that you could actually have players, you know, sort of, you know, living in that world, playing in that historical setting, you know, and having events happen, you know, all around it. And that could be so interesting and so fun for kids, you know. I mean, I think when sometimes, too, when it comes to, like, creating games like this in the classroom, some, I mean, it's a lot of work and teachers are super busy and so sometimes that's a really, you know, hard one. But, you know, I think... You know, teachers can be just like our students when they're creating something that they're afraid of failure, too, because our time is precious and we only have so much. But I will always maintain that if you have a bad game that teaches something, you know, it's still going to be better to some to kids, to a lot of kids as opposed to, you know, teaching something in a more straightforward, you know, traditional sort of way. You know, kids are incredibly mm-hmm. forgiving of bad games if that means there is the slightest chance that they're going to do something different and have some fun while they're learning something. And especially in an educational setting where they then get to tear it apart. Right. right. They can say, oh, this is, this is horrible. Or I had a blast doing this. You're crazy. You know, whatever it is mm-hmm. that, that, that it's not just, Hey, we are suffering through another bad math game because I need an educational game and it's math class. Right. right. It's, Oh, we're playing this game and, and, but there's a discussion going on around what's cool about it or what's bad. I, I received some prototypes for, that were going up on Kickstarter and we played this game and it was just truly awful. I mean, it was horrible, but for weeks, the kids were like, Hey, did those guys ever get back to you with the corrections that you suggested or, or whatever? And there was more of a conversation generated around these, this horrible game <laughs> than, than there was around some of the better games that they, that they kind of liked, but that they just weren't over the moon about. And so, yeah, I think some, sometimes extremes for better or ill are, are a much more engaging thing. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, they want to feel it, because especially since they had a part in creating it, that investment is just going to be so, you know, so high. I mean, because I play, you know, I run um, my Harry Potter role-playing game, but then I'm also in a group where others um, are the GMs, and that's more, you know, traditional. And, um, man, there definitely are some times where, especially if it's a really heavy battle scene or something like that, like, I'm on my phone sometimes, you know? Like, it's just, it's hard to get that kind of investment and involvement because, you know, it's it's not, it appeals to a lot of the other guys that I play with, and that's cool. Like, I go along with it. I play with it. I'm not ridiculous. But, um it doesn't have as much of an... I'm always more interested in doing things that create interesting stories instead of just combat, combat, combat. And I think having the ability for players to really get invested in building this world and then, you know, of course, seeing if they're going to be willing to knock it around a bit. Like, to me, that's always going to be more interesting. Kathleen, have you ever played Adventure Maximus or or brought it out and explored it at all? As a matter of fact, I bought all of it, the whole complete set at Gen Con a few years ago, and um, I ended up giving that to my sister and her kids, and they're going to start playing it, I think, today. They've got a little group um, because the kids have been playing um, Ollie's 14, Ren is 12, Tilda is 8. And Ren, so the two older ones have been playing Dungeons and Dragons at the library. But um, they switch from doing campaigns to one-shots, which makes sense because you can't necessarily always plan on the exact same people showing up. Um, and you want to make it you know, accessible to new players. So they, I gave them all of the Adventure Maximus stuff because I have way too much RPG stuff that I can use. And it's actually super perfect for them. And they're going to start running campaigns because it's the fantasy world that they like, but in a much more kid-friendly way than what Dungeons & Dragons can be. Like these kids, they wouldn't be able to run D&D on their own, but they can run adventure maximus games maximus yeah that's a neat neat system uh we had a lot of fun with it at the library and it'll probably mm. run at our kids track because uh, with shashkan we've got coming up we hope we're hoping to have a couple of tables that are you know kid kid friendly games the whole time so cool i should check that out well all right then so you've only had two games out michael is that what I, i'm led to understand is that hub games oh, what's the website for you all because i try to go to hubgames.com and i get request to add stuff to my computer so what's your yeah, don't do that go to wearehubgames.com instead oh okay um hmm. oh there it is boom that's boom. not trying to not trying to add stuff to my uh, uh to my browser window or or new add-ons or anything that that makes me happy happy okay. right so so you said all of um rory Stork cubes are no longer part of we are hub games but in untold um it comes with a base set so if you want mm-hmm. to i mean is it are there any kinds of um do you have any materials resources i see there's a downloads and I'm, and I'm also trying not to click things um are there resources to help people develop their own story cubes in terms of you know what you know what the different dice do what different types of elements are on each die do you off, do you do you have anything like that so people want to do create their own custom sets to sort of guide them yeah, if you go over to storycubes.com, there is, uh, there's obviously a lot of educational support stuff on there still. Um, Asthma Day, of course, are now going to be responsible for maintaining all of that. Uh, but there are, an, all, you know, I, I, I see this every day. Obviously, I, I, I keep an eye on the, the, the Story Cubes uh, Twitter just to make sure, you know, if anybody's getting in touch with messages or anything along those lines. 
and there are so many people who are out there who have provided lots and lots of different, you know, homebrew story cubes, or you know, this is you know templates to make your own kind of versions of them. Uh, it's and, and the nice thing is any of those are usable with with Untold. You know, you can come up with your own ones. You can buy sets from from uh, from the official Rory Story Cubes you know line. You can use the the branded ones. You can do like an Adventure Time one or Doctor Who or Batman, whatever. The only rule is that you start with nine Story Cubes, and that's it. Uh, and they can be literally ones of your own creation. They can be ones that we make. They can be ones that slightly strange companies from Denmark have decided to slightly knock off. It's entirely <laughs> down to you. Um, and that freedom of injecting whatever ones you want into the game was very, very important to us. Because, you know, we want the, the stories that you create to be, you know, we want you to be passionate about them. And if you sort of like set some time aside and come up with your own little set of story cubes and use them in your adventures. That's awesome. That's fantastic. I want to hear about them. You know, send us a message on Twitter, hashtag it untold BG. And then I, I want to read about these kind of things. It, it, it's all about sharing these stories. So it doesn't matter what story cubes you use. Just use nine. That's it. That's your only rule. Okay. Well, I've got a, I've got a, a something I'm surprised. I didn't even think of mentioning this before. Uh, mm. Listeners of the show will have heard me talk at too great a length about the RPG Pharaoh Challenge thing with Stephanie in a previous episode. Um, I used Rory Story Cubes when I was competing in the in the Pharaoh's Challenge as as part of oh here's this giant you know <clears throat> Founders Day celebration and so I threw out some cubes and whatever face they came up with was sort of oh here are the activities or the things that are going on in these locations around this giant map. And I ended up winning, so uh, we can blame that on Rory Story Cubes, I guess. Huzzah! Always good. <laughs> Hooray! That's, that's really cool. Yeah, so I've I've we've been I've been using them uh, to supplement my role playing game. They're in my kit already for my even non untold adventures style role playing games. Yeah, uh, for years. Cool, cool. Yeah, because I was always thinking about making up um, a set for my game as well. You know, because with. Um, the Harry Potter game that I'm running, it's um, based on the Lady Blackbird system, which um, is very narrative, has a lot of narrative control in the hands of players. And I think especially, it's a, and it's a D6 system, it'd be interesting to create like a special die for each of their characters, or like the things they, you know, that aid them, but also the things they sort of struggle against. And, mm-hmm. you know, making that part of their die rolls as well to like, because sometimes, you know, especially since we're all Harry Potter dorks, it's not a problem to explore this world, but sometimes, especially because it's precious, it's hard to introduce conflict, and that could be a really cool way, fun way to um, kind of force them into, you know, some, you know, like some narrative things, but still like custom to their character that makes sense to their character. Yeah, you know, sometimes good things will happen, and sometimes bad things will happen that you have to deal with and it'll be entirely down to the luck of the dice roll yeah. which is you know life is a random thing not everything is going to go great for you all the time mm-hmm. so yeah why not introduce a bit of randomness into your storytelling and adventures cool nice amen to that well what's coming up next from hub games so um what's coming up next is a game that i have designed and it is 
glorious and wonderful and terrifying mm-hmm. and i don't know is it my greatest folly or is it the most wonderful thing that i've ever been involved with um it might be both and i can't say a huge amount about it because we haven't officially announced it yet mm. <laughs> um my god I'm but by the time this goes up it will have been re- uh, it would have been revealed at the nuremberg toy fair um and it is going to be on uh, boardgamegeek.com for people to get a little bit of a heads up about it um, but the uh, game is called Holding On, uh, The Troubled Life of Billy Kerr, and it is a game where story is important. Um, you are a, a, a group of hospital workers, a cooperative worker placement game, uh, so very different to our other two releases, um, wherein you are working with this, uh, this, this patient who was rushed to your hospital to essentially find out his story and i i don't want to say a huge amount about it because um there are an awful lot of secrets in the game there are an awful lot of lies in the game as well uh but you you essentially work your way through six different scenarios all of which can be repeated and replayed um trying to learn as much about the history of this uh this this man who's been rushed into your facility uh before he uh before he he, he shuffles off this mortal coil it's a it's a game that deals with a lot of stuff that isn't dealt with in games it deals with uh it deals with death it deals with sadness it deals with relationships with lies with secrets and I honestly have never seen a game like this out there before, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping to all of the gaming gods that people out there are willing to give it a shot. Because honestly, this is so. This is the this is the greatest thing that I've ever had a hand in ever ever. That's so exciting! Congratulations. It's terrifying. Oh yeah, and wonderful. Yes, but terrifying. Yes, but wonderful. <laughs> yes. Did nice. I mention how I'm taking a game about pigeons pooping on people and turning it into a dragon-based scenario dexterity game? <laughs> hey, it works for me. That's all good. You know, it's it, it's it's great. We have um, some incredible people working on it. Um, we have a, an artist called uh, Bringy Jones who is just putting together some. I mean. You know when you know when you see uh, a piece of art in a game and it's just like you know what that's good art I like it I like the game like I like the vibe it gives the game I like the the feeling it gives the game uh, when he sent forward the first piece of like test art uh, a few weeks ago like my my heart just went oh my god it it, it grew three sizes that day like some gaming Grinch and it just felt right and. Uh, a, a lot of the game is about uh it is about memory is about uh a sort of like very hazy dreamlike state almost and the way that he uses his art to to get these ideas and these images and these memories across is is heart-soaringly wonderful it is it's beautiful nice. and i know that the rest of the team are just going to work their you know work their magic on it because so production with uh, with blank and untold is these are these are beautifully put together games even something as simple as a card game the amount of thought that we had to put into it to make sure that it was perfect before we pushed it out the door was was i i would say it, it would dwarf that of most other game companies and it's going to be the same with holding on it's it's going to be one of the literally the best looking games that you have ever seen on top of that, 
it's also got a storyline that is compelling, that is impactful, that is hard hitting. Um, we've been working with a, an actual scriptwriter, um, a guy who uh, is actually like an, an award winning filmmaker uh, over here in Northern Ireland. He wrote a film called Good Vibrations. His name is Glenn Laban. Uh, he was the, uh, sorry, he's the director of it rather. And he, um, he put together this, this, this movie about the punk scene, about a guy called Terry Hooley in the punk scene in, uh, Northern Ireland in the late seventies, early eighties. He opened a record shop during the height of the frickin' troubles, you know, oh, wow. bombs going off left, right and center. And he's there going, I'm opening a shop that sells punk records. Um, it's, it's a, a great story, a wonderful film, well worth watching. Uh, it's got Jodie Whittaker in it as well. She's the, uh, of course, is the new, uh, new Doctor Who. Uh-huh. Um, and it's all of these people coming together to create and develop and make something that just sort of gestated in, in, in my head. And, uh, Rory, Rory is on board as well as co-designer. And it's, it's wonderful. And I'm so excited about it. As you can probably tell, because this is the first time I've actually been allowed to properly talk about it. That's <laughs> nice. so cool. 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 Well, congratulations. Nice. I'm excited to see it. I'm so scared. Yeah. <laughs> Spiel des Jahres 2019. Oh, yeah. Hurrah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, don't you, uh, you've got to be released in Germany by then, right? By mm-hmm. German it's going to be releasing. It's going to be releasing at Essen 20, uh, 2018. So it will officially be out in uh, in. I think we're going for multiple language release as well at the uh, at the show, so it'll at least be available in German and English. Um, we're already working with distributors and everything around the world to make sure that it's going to be in as many countries, on as many tables, as quickly as possible come release. So, yeah, it's all very grown up and scary. Cool. Yeah, growing being grown up is hard. Um, okay, well, <laughs> excellent. Um, also, I have the extraordinaires. I've got one of the uh, the superhero. Designing props for superheroes. And I don't remember what else was in it, but um, uh, I've got one of the design studio kits, mm-hmm. um, and that's a neat product that is also out from you. That's still a uh, uh, hubs a hub games product. Yeah, it's still uh, still a going concern from us, which is lovely. You know, super creative thing. You know, you are given a client one of these extraordinaires, like a could be a, an alien, an astronaut, uh, army soldier, ballerina, literally massive selection of different characters who have extraordinary needs and then they will uh, you, you, you randomly take a, a, a card that has a request so they might want like you know a, a drinks bottle a place to be safe a place to sleep something along those lines um, then you'll be given some limitations within you ha- uh, within which you have to work and then you just come up with a cool design Nice. And uh, there's lots of ed- again educational support for that kind of stuff. Oh as well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, where you can use that, uh, you know, you can do it as a solo activity, do it as a class activity, um, and because it is so straightforward to explain, it, it works very, very well with a very wide range of ability bands. So if you've got gifted and talented kids, if you've got the uh, any kids, literally any kids, or grown ups, or whatever, mm-hmm. we've we've had people who are working in offices who are using sets of these to work to get their creative juices flowing it's very very uh, very open for all to use mm-hmm. yeah especially right, well, for- you you mentioned educational support which brings us sort of back to the whole schools and libraries thing mm. um how how does hub games you know interface with schools or libraries is there a specific place that we can go to to get your products or um is there 
do you have stuff on your website that we can go and find, you know, either classroom support or, or other things like that? So it's something that we are, we're going to be rolling out, uh, actually relatively soon. It's, it's going to be a, an ongoing project. It always is, you know, you have people come and get in contact with you and say, Oh, I have this idea for this. And you, you adopt it and adapt it and roll it into your, into your systems. But yeah, if, if folks just want to head over to, uh, wearehubgames.com, uh, eventually, and I know it, the vast majority of this writing is going to end up down to me doing it. So I will be pushing out as much supportive stuff as possible. Obviously, we, we're kind of moving away from the, with Creativity Hub as the, the name, we kind of had this, this, uh, this sort of like aura around us of like, oh, they're the folks who make educational stuff. You know, they do Rory Story Cubes. They do the extraordinaires. And while we're sort of like moving away from that educational branding, as it were, that educational halo around us, uh, it would be remiss of us if we were to just completely kick the whole thing to the curb and go, nah, we're just focusing entirely on the game stuff now. We know that something like Untold is usable in a classroom setting. Uh, we know that something like Blank is usable in a classroom setting. And it, whatever support I can give to people to help them do that is is going to be invaluable to me and is going to be invaluable to other people around the world, whether that's people who are teaching in schools, home tutors, anything along those lines. You know, parents just wanting to sit down with their kids and play something that isn't just Candyland or Shoots and Ladders mm-hmm. or whatever. We want to help everybody have as good a time with our games as possible. So if folks have got ideas about how they can integrate the games that we make, the stuff that we make into their worlds, give me an email, uh, michael at wearehubgames.com. And I will happily chat forth back and forth with whoever to get those ideas refined, put them up on our site and then push them out to the rest of the world. That's what we're here for. We, we don't want to exist in like this little gaming bubble. We're not just another games company. We're a games company that gives a damn mm-hmm. and we want everybody else to give a damn as well well i was just on last week i was interviewed for um breaking into board games for their podcast about you know what i'm doing and stuff and um you know they asked the question like where do i see the future of gaming and you know i'm no sage i'm no prognosticator i don't really watch you know trends i don't really like someone had to message me to say, "Hey, they announced your game on Board Game News. I didn't see it. <laughs> they had to point it out to me." Um, but you know, the one thing is, is you know, I think, you know, I can't stress enough how important it is to get kids playing good games. You know, from having a parent who teaches game design at the university level being shocked at what I was doing because what I was doing was roughly equivalent to what he was doing with college students to um, a parent that I saw out and she was telling me about games her daughter had played in my class, how much she loved them and how her daughter said, I want these two games and she went out and bought them and she said, I will never tell my child that I will not buy them a board game. If my child wants to play board games, I will buy her any board games she wants to play because they see the benefit of these for kids. And so in the end, in the end, I concluded with the future of the board games is in kids and getting kids to play really good, interesting games that, you know, pull away from luck and, you know, roll and move mechanics because the most 
you know, the five top games for kids that they know the standard kind of games are all roll and move. But when you give kids interesting choices, it's a lot more engaging. They have a lot more fun with it. And it just helps develop so many important skills from, you know, how they think to social skills. And, you know, so the future is getting kids into games. So I cannot um, second that enough. Right, 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 right. And, and it, I tell you what, it, I've been seeing how other folks have, you know, gone, oh, here are games I'm getting for my school or for my library or what. Um, and and we really need more entry-level games mm-hmm. to, to bring people into stuff, you know, mm-hmm. which is why Untold Stories is so exciting, you know, and uh, the Fast Forward series by, uh, you know, Stronghold is so so neat that you have all of these different people who are getting the ideas. Like, yes, yes, we love our games. We want to make games that people will love that will sort of give them the opportunity to go down this path to also loving our games as well. That, uh, it doesn't have to all be, Hey, look, it's, you know, Puerto Rico or something that might be a little drier or a little more thinky. It's like, yes, we are just trying to put challenging decisions that are fun to make in front of people and, and, and help them understand the value of the game in that way. Yes. The games that I use to hook my students, the games I use to hook my students are games that they can, open the box, read the rules, and play the game, and understand it, and play it well. I mean, that's last is a little bit iffy, but generally speaking, but that they can go from opening the box to finishing a game in 45 minutes. Was have you really played, in- uh, uh, have you brought the fast forward games, uh, Fear, Fortress, and Flea into your room yet? I have not. I have not. I'll um, write that I, down. I, I highly, highly recommend uh, uh, Fear and Fortress. And if your folks are really into puzzle, deep thinking puzzles, then, then flea is also great. Um, but you learn the game from the card, from the top card on the deck. And you learn a little bit more of the game, the more you play. And it's like, Oh, video games have done this for years. Now board games are kind of figuring out how to do it. Right. Right. And that's because I mean, honestly, when I teach games, I mean, everything I do, especially if it's a game that plays across multiple rounds to basically make the first round an instructional round, because then they can see the rules as they're doing it. And players are just off and running, you know, so. Yeah, um, and that works particularly well in games where there's not a uh, there's not a running score total that everybody can see. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's like, oh, I've scored 40 points the first round because I accidentally figured out something and everyone else is going to be crushed. Then the first round is the only round and you can start over. Yes. Right. Um, yes. Which is a different issue. <laughs> well, all right. So, Michael, one question is, um, can is there a place for libraries or schools to get deals on your games if we're trying to buy them like more than one at a time? Oh, yeah. If you get in touch with us directly, um, we will, I'm sure, be able to sort out something for you. That shouldn't be a problem at all. Cool. That, that's awesome. Well, okay. Excellent. Michael, one last time, let our listeners know where you can be found um, wandering blindly through the wilds of the Internet. That's what I do best. Lots of blind wandering. Uh, so yeah, you can get me on Twitter. That's where I am always at because my phone is always in my pocket. It's at Idle Michael. Um, if you want to get in touch uh, from a, a businessy point of view or an educational point of view, or whatever, um, seriously, drop me an email. It's Michael at WeAreHubGames or one word dot com. Um, come visit us on the site. Uh, if you want to see me do my dumb weekend fake job uh check me out on youtube uh, little metal television i'm slowly building up again getting videos up and running once more um reviews 
game design weirdness hell even sometimes video game playthroughs if i'm feeling particularly fruity um there's lots and lots of weird stuff out there with my name on it and most of it is reasonably palatable so please enjoy uh-oh you've you've gone from you've gone from game reviewer to game designer does that strike fear into your hearts that maybe uh, maybe someone will get some backs at you Ah, not at all. I'm history's greatest monster. It's fine. Um, no, most most of my I've only ever done one negative review in my entire life because I like to try and be as positive about even if it's a game that it's I I, I didn't enjoy. I still like to try and find the good things that are in a game. Um, and only one game has utterly, completely failed to do that in my entire game reviewing career. But dude, I've been making games for ages, so. I've, I've taken my lumps. I'm good. I, I, okay. I know that people are going to like some stuff. People are going to hate some stuff. Uh, I just hope that the, the balance goes more in the positive to negative. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, Kathleen, where should people seek you out? Uh, I can be found on the internet through my lovely website where I pr- provide all of my game design teaching materials for free at KathleenMercury.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Mercury with seven M's. So it's at Mercury. And I love to communicate, collaborate, work with people all over the world. All right, Kathleen, thank you for joining me. It's always nice to host a show with you again. Uh, we should do this more often. I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me wandering the wilds of the internet as Walsfio. Um, and of course, head over to inversegenius.com where you can find out more about this show, the people who create it, and all the other shows like Onboard Games, On RPGs, On Miniatures Games, and The Room Escape Divas. The Games in Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System. Send us your questions, comments, or snide remarks to ddennis at gtcounty.org. Boy, oh boy, it's almost time for the con. I can't wait to do these escape rooms, play the role-playing games, the board games, show off all these cool new coding games. Shush! Yeah, that's the one. No, shush! We're in a library, sir. We most certainly are. It's ShushCon, a games and geekery convention held in Polly's Island, South Carolina at the Walker Monarch Branch Library, March 23rd, 24th, and 25th. It's the best value for gaming in the Carolinas. We'll have the new board game hotness. You know, the good stuff. Classic and indie RPGs, so we'll have Dread, Call of Cthulhu, Trail of Cthulhu, Paranoia, Savage Worlds, and Dread. Organized play events like D&D, Pathfinder Society, and Shadowrun. As well as War Machine Hordes, Iron Arena, and Steamroller events. Video games like the Jackbox Party Pack, Artemis, Overwatch Land Party, and a Hearthstone Fireside Gathering. We're a tavern! Woohoo! And we're going to have escape room games and custom-made escape rooms. We'll also be hosting a magic draft. And in the finest tradition of ShashCon, we will have a tea party and tea tasting. So we'll have a variety of tasty teas for you to taste and tickle your tonsils. Taste tea? Oh. We will also record segments for On Board Games, On RPGs, and the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. So you could be on air if you show up here. We're also going to host our librarian trade day again. But this time, we're going to be talking about coding and coding activities for libraries. So if you're a librarian, show up. We're going to focus on coding to play and playing with code. That's March 23rd, starting at 10 a.m. and going until 1 p.m. on that Friday, where we're just going to break out the code and show you how you can bring code into your library in the geekiest way possible. And then, of course, you can stay and play games, games, games. 
And that's part of the library's ready-to-code grant that we just received. Look, that's all good and well, but this is a library. I need you to take it down a couple notches. Oh, yes. Uh, so, Shushcon, March 23rd, 24th, and 25th, Polly's Island, South Carolina. Best value in gaming for all the Carolinas. Because it's free. Join us and have fun. Shush. No. Shushcon.